Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Oh, I need you, Lord. My motto now is, I live one day at a time for King Jesus. That's the only way I can live my life. Knowing where I once was, where I once was, and now what he's done in my life and what he did for me and for you. Why wouldn't I want to dance like King David? Why wouldn't I want to dance like King David? We dance for things of the world, but for Jesus, I want everyone to grasp that this morning. There's a time for dancing, and there's a time now for the Word of God. But joy comes after, possibly. I know a song about joy. It may come. God willing, who knows? Whew! Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to read this morning from, I've chosen a passage from Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 from verse 36. Incredible, incredible, wonderful, moving, powerful passage of scripture. I love it. So, Father, I just, we come to your feet this morning. We come to your feet in worship, in adoration. We give you all we have, Lord. We come before your feet, Jesus. Oh, God, we give you everything we have right now, Lord. Speak to the depths of our hearts, Lord. Speak into our hearts, almighty God. May we become even more the people you want us to be. You created us for a purpose and a destiny. I hope today, Lord, this day... We become more like the person you want us to be, God. Oh, Jesus, we worship you at your feet this morning, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Luke 7, verse 36. Okay. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, He said to himself, say to himself, say to himself, to himself, he said it to himself. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Wonderful story. Jesus has been invited to dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. And he hasn't been made very welcome, actually. Because it's custom for a guest to enter a house in this time to have their feet washed. Because the dusty roads, you'd always wash the feet of your guests. You'd anoint them with a kiss to welcome them in their home. And Jesus didn't receive any of these things as he entered this house. It was going to be like a Q&A really, a question and answer session. Because the Pharisees wanted to quiz this hotshot prophet in town. Who is this guy? They wanted to know more about him, his teaching, his claims to be the Son of God, his claims to be the Messiah. They wanted to question more about him. So Jesus enters in, not made welcome, reclines at the table, it says. He reclines at the table. And the way that in these times was you would have been at one side, propped up in one arm, eating the olives and the hors d'oeuvres, with your feet behind you on a couch kind of thing. And then this woman arrives with this jar of perfume, stands behind his feet and wets his feet. And Simon says to himself, if this man knew who this woman was at his feet, he'd know she was a sinner. But he said it to himself. But Jesus answered him. He said it to himself. He didn't say it audibly to the room. But Jesus knew what he was saying. So Jesus answered him, didn't he? Tell me, Simon, do you see this woman? And he says, tell me, teacher. His countenance changes. He's just been found out. But Jesus loves Simon so much. He didn't embarrass him. He didn't say, ah, Simon, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I'm going to tell you a story, Simon. He didn't embarrass him. He loves him. He wants Simon to grasp what love this woman has at his feet. Jesus wants Simon the Pharisee to grasp what this woman's doing at his feet. He wants him to have the revelation that she has. He loves him. So he did it gently. Simon, let me tell you a story. So he teaches him a story of the two people who owed money. Which one, Simon, will love me, will love the more? The one who's been forgiven much. Exactly, Simon. This is why she's at my feet. Come on, Simon, I want you to join in. I want to ask you, who are you more like today? We can become like the Pharisee. If we're not careful, we're at his feet worshipping. But then suddenly we can become like the Pharisee. We can be a Bible-believing Christian, but become more Pharisee-like. We can be a Bible-believing, tongue-talking, hand-waving, Pentecostal Christian, but be like the Pharisee. Which one are we? I want to ask you, what kind of person pleases God? What attributes of a person is God looking for today? Whom is God most pleased with? And are we that type of person? You know, I think we can get this wonderful revelation of who Christ is, but then we can be too Pharisee-like. We can become too bogged down with all the theories and all the long words that are associated with theologically stuff. Now, I'm not an intelligent person, but some of these words are too long for me to understand. But for me, the gospel is quite simple. The Son of God came from heaven and died for me to be free. He set me free. But we can make it too complicated. We need to be at the feet of Jesus. I question you today, how many of us 
have been in this position before the king. This is the man that God is looking for. This. How many of us have been at the feet of Jesus? How many were there once, but have not been there for a while? And have let theology get in the way. Have let, let doctrine get in the way. This is where Jesus wants you. At his feet. Wasn't the worship wonderful this morning? We never discussed what songs we were going to do. But in the week I said, Nick, let's let the Spirit guide you this week. What you're going to do. And the last song, I will fall at your feet. I will fall at your feet. And when that song came on, I just fell at the feet of God again. He does it again. Only God can do that. Only the Spirit of God can connect the worship and what we're talking about today. At his feet. Hallelujah. You know, in the Old Testament, many old prophets, you've got your Nathans, your Samuels, Elijahs, Elishas, your Moses, they weren't very popular. They weren't very well liked sometimes, the prophets. The people didn't like them because they had a message from God. And the people didn't like the message they were getting. Very unpopular to be a prophet. And I don't want to be like that. I'd like to give some good news. But sometimes I really struggled with this. I said, God, you've got to tell him what I want you to tell them. So don't rebuke me. Don't stone me in the car park afterwards. I believe this is from God. To be a spokesperson from God needs to rattle some cages. To hear the truth from God needs to really get to our hearts sometimes. If you want to be the person that God wants you to be, you, you, you've got to be ready. You've got to say, yes, the Bible says a wise person will accept rebuke and correction. Accept it, rebuke and correction. And say, yes, Lord, refine me, Lord. So, what kind of person pleases God? In John four twenty three. Jesus says, yet a time is coming and now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be one of those. I want to be one of those. Now, I believe when I dance like King David, I want to be one of those. God is seeking, seeking. God is looking for worshippers in spirit and in truth. And in 4.24, the next verse, God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Well, I'm in. I want that. I want that. I believe the woman at his feet had that. Simon the Pharisee didn't have that. But Jesus wants them both to get it. What is the truth? It's a revelation of who Christ is. John 14, 23. I love this. Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him. As God in heaven will love you. And he will come, we will come to him and make our home with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is saying that him and the Father will come and make home in us. Whoa. This is truth. I can see you're all excited about that. God the Father will make his home in you. This is the truth. If that doesn't touch your heart, I don't know what will. Just look, meditate on that for a second. That saved me talking for a while. Wow. The revelation of Christ starts with the heart. One thing is stopping us doing this. It's the heart. Your heart. Jeremiah 17.9, it says this. The heart is deceitful above all things. The heart. 
We need heart surgery to receive the truth of Jesus, to be at his feet. If one thing is stopping you from going to the feet of Jesus, pouring your heart out upon him, it's your heart. You need your heart broken. What is first in your heart? The Bible says that the heart, ref- your face reflects what's in your heart. If I was to look at your Facebook pages, your Twitters and your phones, what am I looking at? What's in your heart? Your outward life shows what yours, what's in your heart. Is it your car? Is it your money? Is it your girlfriend or your boyfriend? Is it your muscles? What is it? Jesus wants your heart. Whatever's stopping your heart, you've got to put it on the side and get there. The story we wrote, the woman, she got it. She got it. Can we just go through those three slides? The tears at his feet, the surrender at his feet, and the worship at his feet. Just picture these three pictures quickly. Number one, tears at his feet. He's coming. Number two, surrender at his feet. Number three, leads to worship at his feet. These are the three elements that this woman displayed at the feet of Jesus, that Jesus loves. This is the worship in spirit and in truth that the Father is seeking. Not Simon the Pharisee judging her. We want to be that woman with these three facets. We've got to bring our tears at the feet of Jesus. There's only two boxes of tissues in this stage. It's not enough. It's not enough for all the tears in this room that need to come out. Two boxes. We need to get a stationary order and get some more. It's not enough. God wants your tears. Men, don't be so proud. I was in the gym and a friend had died last year and it was tough and I was talking about tears. And these bodybuilders were in the gym and, and I got and one was said, What's up? I said, Well, I've been crying. He goes, Why? I said, My friend died and I've got to talk at his funeral. And I said, But tears they heal. Tears they heal. And he goes, Well, I've never heard that before. But that's true, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose it's true. Tears is the currency of heaven. She brought her tears to Jesus. When she came, she had learned that Jesus was in this house having dinner. She'd learned that he was there. So she thought, I'm going to anoint him with this expensive perfume. She walked in. As she stood behind him, as he was reclining on the table, she stood behind his feet. But the presence and just the awareness that she was standing behind the one who is her savior was so much. She couldn't control it. The tears fell from her eyes in torrents of water upon the feet. Does that grab you? Does does the thought of what Jesus did for you grab you? She heard him preach. His words had convicted her heart. He may have said something to her. He may have prayed for her. But she was convinced that this was her saviour. Her sinful life was gone. He'd forgiven her the filth and everything she'd forgiven. And I so relate to that. I don't know about you, but I relate to that. And that's why I want to speak to you of a power and authority because I've just been there. I've been where she was. And when Jesus breaks in, you want to worship at his feet and get emotional and the tears fall. She poured her tears on him. Her broken and contrite heart was the trigger. He broke her heart. Her heart yielded the tears to her saviour. And there's a character in the Old Testament called King David. You may have heard of him. He was a man of God, wasn't he? Yeah. God said in 1 Samuel 13, 14, he says, The Lord hath sought a man after his own heart. This was King David. Anointed him in front of his brothers with the oil. 
King David was in the field killing lions and bears, a real man of God, strong, charisma, ruggedy, handsome kind of guy. <laughs> and he was a worshipper. Yeah. A chapter, a book later, he's bringing the ark of the God in, isn't he? He's worshipping God. He's full of, full of the spirit of God. Man of God. Remember, God says, a man after a own heart. And six chapters later, he slept with someone's wife. God, man after your own heart. I think you made a mistake. Slept with someone's wife. Got her pregnant. Killed her husband. If anyone was a man of God, it was Uriah the Hittite. Bathsheba's husband. He didn't want to leave the field of action where God's ark was to go back home. How can I leave the presence of God in the field and go back home to my wife, King David? I'm going to stay there. He was a man after God's own heart. Then Nathan the prophet, the popular prophet, goes to King David and says, The message from the Lord, the the Lord has seen your sin, David. It was then his heart was smashed. This was the moment he had the heart of God. This is the heart that pleases God. And in Psalm 51, King David put to the psalm, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, only you have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. So you are proved right when you are speaking, justified when you judge. It was this moment. It was this moment that King David was broken. And then God said, now this man has a heart of my own heart. Amen. Single women. Well, married women, who is your man today? Is he a King David man? Has he been on his knees before the Lord? I challenge you today, which man are we, men? Whom are we before God? This is the heart that pleases God. If you find that your ministry is taking you away from the intimacy at the feet of Jesus, stop it and get back to the feet. There's too much knowledge out there now. We can read books the rest of our lives. But at the expense of being at the feet of Jesus, he doesn't want that. When we're at the feet of Jesus, everything we do comes from an overflow of being in his presence. So we grasp that. We are blessed in this church with Pastor Phil and his predecessor, Pastor Peter. Because I used to watch them. They were worshippers. They led by example. They were worshippers because they never forgot it was at his feet where it all came from. I saw them in prayer meetings cry with tears. I admired that. And I thought, I want to be a man of God like them. They led by example. Which men of God are we going to be? You know, we can be growing up in religion, fam- religious families. I, I see... Many people on the streets as well. They said, well, I was born in a Catholic family, went to a Catholic school, and it was inevitable I became a Christian. It's a bit like Simon the Pharisee, you see. They come to knowledge of God, but they never had that revelation of the heart of God, what he wants. And someone says to me, well, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, but I do envy what you've got because you've, you've realized that you've been forgiven much. <laughs> That's what Jesus wants you to have that too. And if you struggle with that, picture the darling of heaven coming down, pure and beautiful, his back torn open. He's on a cross for you. He didn't have to, but he did for you. And then go to your knees and say, God, give me that revelation too. Make me have that revelation as that woman. And thank God that you haven't had to live a life like that. That's what you want to pray. God, thank you that you've spared me from that life. 
But God, I really want to follow you. Give me a revelation too, Lord, like her, so I can love so much like you. So I can pour my oil on your feet and worship at your feet like the others, Lord. He wanted Simon the Pharisee to do this, didn't he? You know, Jesus notices everything. There's no secrets. There's no secrets. In the story, Jesus is reclining at the table and the woman comes in. First of all, she stands behind him. Then suddenly her tears are falling on his feet. Jesus is still over this way, eating his olives and his hors d'oeuvres. Tears are on the feet of Jesus. Then she starts to go down to wipe the tears off his feet with her hair. Jesus is still looking this direction. I think I might have noticed somebody crying at my feet. I think I might have felt the tears on some of my, my bare feet by this point. Then she started to kiss the feet. I think I definitely would have turned around and somebody started kissing my feet. Then somebody cracked on some alabaster. The perfume filled the room. The fragrance poured it on my feet. Jesus still turned over there. He hadn't noticed. Or had he noticed? But it was then in verse 44. After all this, after what Simon says, if you knew who this woman was, you know she's a sinner. And then Jesus explains the parable about the two men who owed money. And in verse 44, then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman, Simon? It was then he turned to the woman at his feet. There are sometimes when we're in our rooms, I don't know about you, but when I'm praying in the morning sometimes, and I've got my Bible, and Lord, are you really hearing me? My prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. I don't know, are you listening? Jesus says today, do you see this woman at my feet? I see your tears. It's a lesson to say, just keep pouring it out. I'm receiving, I'm loving it. It may be unnoticed. You may feel you're being unnoticed. Jesus is not hearing you. But today he says, I see every tear. I see every tear. Psalm 56 8 says, Record my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Every teardrop is not wasted in heaven. Every tear. Those with children, you know, when your children come to you, then they've got tears in their eyes, the whole thing, they get your attention. Tears in your children get your attention. My children are 22 and 19, but if they would come to me crying, they'd get my attention. What's up, son? The father looks at your tears. Not one is wasted. Not one is wasted. The Bible says that you, the tears are collected in a bottle with your name on. It's good, isn't it? Not one of your tears is wasted. You know, some, <laughs> several years ago in Colombia, this was before God really got a hold of my life. And I used to envy Lily and her family. They would go into church Sunday and a prayer meeting a week was not enough. They would have prayer meetings in the night and the evenings and they used to bother me. I thought, can we just be in the church? Can we just have some fun now? It used to. I used to really bother me. And I used to sort of dread us if I thought, here we go again. They're all going to have another worship prayer night again. This was before God really got a hold of me. And one evening, we went, I went to bed. They left there all praying. And I woke up in the middle of the night and the house was quiet. The prayer meeting obviously finished. Lily was lying beside me in bed asleep. But I felt this overwhelming urge. Something landed on me. Couldn't explain it. I just got out of bed and I was driven to my knees by the bed. And I just started to sob. I started to sob. Tears just gushing on the floor. What is this God? And it was then that I surrendered everything to him. Like that, I surrendered at him. I said, God, I don't know what it is, but I'm now going to surrender my life to you. I want what they've got. I want what they've got. I want to worship in the night, Lord. I surrender my life to you. And I was sobbing. 
I was sobbing. A few days later, before we would come back to England, I was at my sister-in-law's house before we went to the airport. She says, we have a visiting pastor. He'd like to come and meet you before you go to England. So I thought, cool, that'd be nice. Him and his wife come. And they arrived and, and they said, we'd like to pray for you two before you go. It's in Spanish. And I said, queríamos orar para ustedes. I said, that'd be nice. A nice little God bless you. Pray for a first class ticket. That'd be lovely. And a nice little seat. A nice little window seat. Thank you, pastor. That'd be very nice. But you know, have you ever had those moments when you know a man of God is a prophet of God? And he just has that awe about him. He had that awe about him. I thought, he's been in the presence of God. You know, he, he scared me. And sometimes that, we need that. A real old man of God, he's, he started to pray over us. And I was like, oh my days, this is really serious. And he started to pray. And I, and I, was, I was praying, I was looking up. And he was looking at me. And then our eyes met. And he says, Vistos, who's lagrimas. I have seen your tears. And I just thought, how did he see that? Did he have a camera in that room that night? Did he, what did he have? Did he have, they weren't around them days, those little cameras. How did he know? But it wasn't, was it? It was the Spirit of God. I have seen your tears. I will use you. You've surrendered your life. I will use you, son. It comes from a point of surrender. God sees your tears. He sees your surrender. When you are alone and you think, God, are you really hearing me? He is hearing everyone. He is hearing everyone. He's seeing every tear. He sees the tears of a brother for his brother. He never leaves it answered. He sees the tears of a wife. Her tears were going to heaven and back all the time. When I was backslidden and broken. It was her tears. And God says, I will get hold of that knucklehead. It was her tears that made me stand here today. And God's mercy and grace. And this broken heart. Tears are powerful. Men do not let those tears stop. There was a prophecy once in his church when we had this new carpet laid up here. This carpet will one day be saturated with tears of broken and repentant hearts coming to the Lord. As King David, as Peter. It was after Peter cried to Jesus when he rejected him three times. Then Jesus says, now I'll build my church on this. He built the church on the tears of Peter. Jesus too wept. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. <laughs> Hallelujah. Psalm 1265 says, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Are you reaping joy now? Your brother's here. Hallelujah. Keep praying for those who you love and who aren't with the Lord yet. Keep praying. Sow those prayers with tears. And one day you will sing songs of I feel the joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Never give up on those. Never give up on them because the Lord never gave up on you. He never gave up on you. Say I feel the joy to your neighbor. I feel the joy. Hallelujah. Come on. Tears come with ultimate surrender of your life. You need to surrender everything you have to Jesus. You've got to. The woman did. She didn't count the cost of anything that she had anymore. We know that alabaster jars were expensive stone items. With, and this perfume is so rare and expensive. It's like a year's salary. She didn't count the cost. When she knew that Jesus was at the house... I'm going to take this expensive, but I'm going to anoint him. Probably just to anoint his head. But she didn't count the cost. When you surrender, you see, things change. Your life changes. 
and it affects culture, society. Your surrender affects people's attitudes. In Acts 19, when the apostles were preaching in Ephesus, people who were practicing sorcery and witchcraft, they were becoming believers. They were leaving all this stuff behind and following Christ. Then one day they were burning all the scrolls, all the stuff of the teachings of the witchcraft. They were burning them. And the value was pounds and pounds. It was expensive. They didn't count the cost. They were burning it. And then the people who were making the little statues of the little gods in this city, they were being affected. Their business was affected because no one was buying their stuff anymore. Our business is suffering because of this Christ guy. It affects businesses. Your surrender will affect things. If you leave something behind and it has to go, God's going to replace it with something better. Do not worry about things or transactions or business deals if it means following Christ. Do not compromise. God's going to honor that. Do not count the cost. Surrender means do not count the cost. Because God will meet your every need. Just look at the woman. Your tears and your surrender affect society. And people will be shocked at your conversion. People will be shocked. What has happened to this person? Surrender causes disbelief. Really? You're surrendering everything? You're surrendering what we used to do? Going to the clubs? You're surrendering all this for Christ? It changes lives. It changes lives. People don't get it. People didn't understand what she was doing. They didn't understand the total surrender and the tears thing. Was it a bit too much? But when you got something, that's when you know. When you're football fans, for instance, right? You know, when Arsenal won the title in 89, this was pre-Wenger, so it was a long time ago. A long time ago. My sons are... They're 22 and 19. They've only known one Arsenal manager. I've known seven before the time I was their age. That's how long Arsenal's manager's been in charge. In 89, Arsenal had to go to Liverpool to win the title by two goals. And all season they were up there, then they let it slip near the end. And they had to go to Liverpool to win. It's impossible. I was 19, 18. And I was there in the ground with my brother and my friends. And it, Arsenal winning 1-0. They needed one more goal. And it went into injury time. And, and, oh, and I, had the, I had the Arsenal boxer shorts on everything. <laughs> I had my lucky boxer shorts on. Honestly, the white ones with red little cannons on. And I thought, these aren't so lucky anymore. I had everything. And then I looked over and it was injury time. It was... We're over time now, and we got so close, but they're going to fail at the last minute. But then I looked up. Michael Thomas has come through, and he just scored at the last second. Oh, my days. Ten years of following them. It was 18 years since they last won the title. And you can imagine the euphoria. But knowing Arsenal, we came back down to earth really quickly because... For, with 10 seconds left, they might go and score the other team. So we panicked. But in half a minute, it was all over. Arsenal had won. Well, we can contain ourselves. People must have thought, they're idiots. What are they doing? I came back to Cambridge at night and in the morning, walking around, and it was normal. Why aren't anyone talking about the match? The biggest match in history. Why aren't you talking? Oh, it's amazing. 10 years of my life. We thought we'd lost it, but we won it. It's amazing. People didn't get it. People didn't get it. I sewed money into them. I bought box shorts. It meant everything. It meant everything. And all the babies being born at that time called Michael Thomas, George Graham, or whatever. People name their babies after stars, don't they? Why? Because they understand what it meant to them. Us looking on the outside just think you're crazy. It's a bit over the top. And it is just a game. It is just a game. It's only a name, Arsenal. They're useless now. (laughs) It's going to be another 18 years where they win anything. 
I might go crazy again if they do it. It's just a game. But it meant so much. Jesus is just a name. But he's a name above all names. And he is worthy of my song and dance until the day I see him. And I will dance for him forever. And he had the greatest victory. It was in injury time. And he rose from the dead. And he kicked the devil between the eyes, took the keys. And says, this is my victory. This is my victory. Hallelujah. You know, though she did not say a word. She did not say a word in this story, by the way. She never spoke a word. But her actions and what she did spoke volumes for 2,000 years on. It's incredible. Incredible. Her worship filled the room. There are songs that we sing here sometimes. Lord, may my worship be like perfume at your feet, filling the room, God. We sing songs like that. To the crowd, her worship was offensive. But to heaven, it was sweet music. A sinner returning home. A daughter who was returning home. Make your worship beautiful. She didn't count the costs. She didn't stop to think. When she brought her worship into that room that day, she was going to the Pharisee's house. She was going to the lion's den. She was going to the enemy's camp. But nothing was going to stop her worshipping. Nothing. There was another time in 1990, I remember a friend and I, we went to another cup game in Manchester City away. And my friend says, well, I'm up in Manchester, I'll get the tickets. I thought, oh, good. That'd be good, that saved me a job. So he went and got me the tickets. So I met him up there and he goes, good news, I've got the tickets. Bad news, we're sitting with the Manchester City supporters. And I thought, I was 19, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a worshipper for the Arsenal, you know what I mean? I like to sing and joy and sing the songs. How am I going to do that with the Manchester City supporters? I'm going to die, they're going to kill me. How am I going to get over alive? How am I going to get over alive? I was panicking. I was trying to think, well, we're Arsenal, a much better team than Man City. This is the day before Man City had money. So they weren't that great, I'll tell you. And there was only going to be one winner. So I was thinking, when Arsenal score, how do I react? I need to blend in. I need to blend in with these Northerners. All these Philistines. I needed to blend in with them. So I bought a cap. I, I hid my Arsenal scarf. My shorts were tucked in. And I had to act like a northerner. So I hid my 20s, got my fibers out. I was doing everything possible to blend in. I went to the chip shop and I said, chips and gravy, please. Chips and gravy, please. Would you like mushy peas with that, love? Yeah, little chip mushy peas. So I was talking like them as well. I had to blend in with them. So I had to walk along on chips and mushy peas, speak about Coronation Street. I had to do all this stuff. I had to blend in. So I didn't want to stand out because I would have been killed if I was. If they said, he's a southerner, that was it. I had to blend in with them. Then we walked into the ground. There were thousands of them. They're everywhere. They're all speaking northern. And, I, and me and my friend, we had to sort of pretend to be northern. We're all We'll sit here, mate. And the match started. And I thought, how am I going to contain? There's the Arsenal fans in the corner of the ground. They're already singing and celebrating. I want to be over there with them. And I thought, do I dare stand up and sing the songs? I was in, inside. I wanted to go, Arsenal. I wanted to scream and shout. But it was like suppressing. I was holding on. My friend was holding on to my knees trying to stop me. It was like this caged emotion inside of me. And I wanted to explode. The goal was coming. The goal was coming. Tony Adams headed it in the ball. And I wanted to jump and scream and shout. But my mate shut my mouth. He shut me down. And I had to go. I couldn't show my support. It was suppressed. 
Half time came, thankfully. So I got up and watched the toilet. Oh, Jesus. Calm down. Another 45 minutes to go. It was torture. Arsenal scored again. It was bottomed up, and I reckon a Man City fan knew who I was. So all for the second half, he was looking at me. You're one of those, aren't you? You're one of those southerners. And I was going, no, no, no. Then Manchester City scored near the end. So I got up. Come on, City. Come on, City. And uh, City lost. Arsenal won. So we, thankfully, we left the ground all in one piece. Kept coming. Oh, bad result. Yeah, oh, bad result. Oh, yeah. Got to the car. Got to the M6. Then we let it out. We're safe. We're safe. Hallelujah. We won. But the woman who worshipped Jesus, she didn't keep it a secret. She didn't buy a chip butty at the Pharisee's house. She didn't put on an accent. She took her colours. She took her support for Jesus right in front of the enemy. She did not blend in. She did not conform to the world. She did not keep it a secret. She just had to let it go. Perhaps there's somebody in your life right now looking at you saying, you're one of those Jesus freaks, aren't you? You're one of those Christians, aren't you? Are you going to keep it quiet or are you going to let it out? Yes, I am. Jesus died for me. I'm a Christian. It is when we're at the feet of Jesus, worshipping at his feet, it gives us strength. I didn't have the courage and the strength to stand up among thousands of Philistines. I mean, Manchester City supporters. I didn't. So I wanted to live another day. But have we got the courage to stand in our communities, in our workplaces, down Mill Road, waving the banner for Jesus? Or are we going to just blend in with the crowd... Not upset anybody. Keep the political correctness going. Or are we going to say, no, Jesus. I worship Jesus. But that comes from a revelation in your heart. It has to come from a revelation in your heart that he died for you. Bring your tears and your surrendered and broken heart to his feet. That will give you the courage and the strength to worship him publicly. In your workplaces, in your homes in your communities, even here. He wants your worship. So when I'm here and I worship him, I can't contain it. I cannot contain it any longer. Jesus set me free to worship him. It's good. It's good. And this is the strength That many Christians all around the world in enemy countries right now, in North Korea, China, whatever you want, there's Christians. Because they've been at the feet of Jesus. They're saying, Lord, where are you? We're being persecuted. We're being jailed. But all the time, Jesus turns and says, look at my son. Look at my daughter. And their continued faithfulness and worship whilst they're suffering. This is the strength that God gives you by his spirit. Worshippers in spirit and in truth. Are we a people like this? If it's not, and you think, I'm not so sure about this. Examine your heart now. Is Jesus really the king of your heart? Will you worship him at his feet? Her worship was all about Jesus, was not about her. It was about Jesus, not about her. The minute we start saying things, well, I, in my culture, I don't do this. I like to do it this way. No, it's not about you. It's about him. Take it off you. 
It's about him. Well, I, I'm, I'm English. I'm a cordial gentleman. I, I don't do... No, it's about him. Let's worship him. It's about him. When King David was dancing, he didn't say, King David danced like a sophisticated English gentleman. No, he danced with all his might. He danced with all his might. And after the worship of the woman at his feet, Jesus said in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. And verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Because at that time, when she was kissing the feet of Jesus, he had not yet gone to the cross. He was not yet at the cross. This was pre-nails. Little did she know that she was kissing the feet that would have nails driven through them. That was faith. Who has faith this morning that Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords? Who's going to stand in the camp of the enemy and say, yes, I am a Christian and I love him and he is everything to me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus. Jesus. If you want God to exalt you, if you want to become a great man of God or a great woman of God, you've got to get down to your knees first. Proverbs 18, 12 says, Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. But humility comes before honor. To become great before God, we've got to lower ourselves. We've got to lower ourselves. This is what Jesus did. He led it by example. He was great. But he came and lowered himself for us. Can we do the same? Can we let our tears fall on his feet? Can we bring our heart before him open? Jesus. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.